Oh, good evening. A really warm welcome to you. It's nice to see you here this evening. As Nikki said, we're beginning a new series in Ephesians tonight, and the title of that series is Set Apart. So we're looking at what it means for us to live lives that are distinctive. And so our passage this evening is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And tonight I want to talk to you about who it is that you say that you are. I think part of the human experience for all of us is this desire to somehow forge an identity in the world. And we're always trying to answer those big questions of who am I? How should I live? Who am I becoming? And I think that question is Um, of great importance, particularly in London in 2018, because we live in a cultural moment that is littered by choice. When you start to think about who it is that you are and how it is that you should live and who you're becoming, there are a number of possible pathways for you to choose from. It's fluid and mobile and obviously ever-changing. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Now Ephesus is what we now know as modern-day Turkey, and at its time when Paul was writing this letter, it was a major city for trade and imports and exports, so a commercial centre. And as well as that, it was a Roman colony, so it was a taste of Rome outside of Rome, which meant that it was a culture that was marked by the worship of gods and goddesses. It was marked by relativism, and it was also marked by pluralism. So that's the idea that you could have multiple different groups of people all trying to forge their unique identity whilst coexisting with each other or within one dominant identity. It was into this culture marked by materialism, commercialism, relativism and pluralism, a culture of fluidity and choice and mobility, a culture very similar to London in 2018 that Paul writes this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. 
and you who were also included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When I was younger, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I was obsessed with the news. I still am obsessed with the news. And at university, I studied communications. And in my final year of university, I scored my first gig in the media in a very local, very small community radio station hosting a Monday night program that I don't even think my mum listened to. And I can remember there was this one day I was in the corridor and I was approached by this man who was visiting the station. And he was a manager from one of the major commercial TV and radio networks in Australia. And he stopped me and he said, you. And I thought, either I've just said something horrifically stupid on air or this is my moment. (laughs) This is the moment that I will be asked to read the news, the real news. So he said, you. And I said, yes. And he said, you've got a voice that can sell lipstick and ice cream. And I said, what any girl in her early 20s, desperate to get her foot in the door in the media industry would say, I said, thank you, that's all I've ever wanted to do. (laughs) So I went on to work in TV and radio. I was a reality TV publicist, working for reputable reality TV shows like Big Brother and So You Think You Can Dance as well as doing voiceovers for, yes, indeed, ads for lipstick and ice cream, and the occasional safety announcement for major Australian sporting stadiums that went a little something like, thanks for not smoking. (laughs) If you're ever watching the cricket in Australia, you may just hear me. If I were to ask you, who are you? You might give me an answer based on a number of different things. You might give me an answer based upon your performance. I am what I do. You might give me an answer based upon your possessions. I'm what I own, wear, text on. You might answer me in relation to your pleasure. I am what I want or your popularity. I am who I think you think that I am. I'm someone who very much found their identity in their performance. And it wasn't so much the glamour of TV that I loved, it was the prominence. It was the access to fame and to power and to influence and just the possibility that maybe I too might become a person of fame and influence and power. But here's what I've learned about finding your identity first in your performance, possessions, pleasure, or popularity. All of those things can be taken away. 
And if they are taken away, who are you then? Fast forward a few years after working in TV and I was no longer working in TV. I didn't have the fame and the influence and the power that I wanted. I ended up working as a high school teacher in an inner city high school. So I went from having my voice heard across Australia to standing in front of teenagers that quite honestly would rather hear anything but the sound of my voice. As well as that, my family was rocked by a significant relational breakdown, by cancer, by loss, by debilitating anxiety. I had experienced rejection, sacrifice, the pain of unfulfilled promises. And even though it sounds quite dramatic, it had felt like everything that I had placed my security in, my performance, my popularity, my position in relationship had been taken from me. And throughout that time, I gratefully knew Jesus. Thanks to my mum, I really can't remember a time where I didn't know him. But I've not always followed his example. And I regularly, and I think still regularly, allow my awareness of him to be dulled. But he does what he always does, what he promised he would do. And that is, never leave me nor forsake me. And I can remember there was this one time where he actually led me to the very passage that we're looking at tonight. And he showed me that I had built fortresses on unstable ground. And I was now sitting in the rubble of my self-constructed identity fortress. And he took me through this passage and very slowly, brick by brick, he rebuilt me upon him and who he is for me. And I believe that tonight he's wanting to say the same thing to you. Who is it that you say you are? When Paul is writing this letter, he begins with a great celebration of praise. And in the original Greek, this passage is actually just one continuous run-along sentence. It is a breathless and grand exclamation of praise. He is saying to the church in Ephesus, look who God is. And look who he is for you. And in light of that, this is who you are. You are in Christ. And that's a significant phrase because in Jewish thought, people were known to be people of a king. So that whatever was true for the king was true for the people that followed him. And so if Jesus is the king above all kings and we choose to follow him, then what is true for him becomes true for us. And Paul is saying to the church, this is who he is. And in light of him, this is who you are. You are in Christ, learning to be Christ-like in Ephesus. So what does that mean for us today in London in 2018? Well, number one, I believe that we are in Christ, and Paul shows this to us. We are in Christ, chosen by the Father, learning to live from blessing. As someone who found their identity in their performance, every choice that I made in my life, 
I made, quite honestly, from ambition. And I wonder, for those of us who live in London, how many of us make our choices in day-to-day life from ambition. The ambition to attain something, be it success, popularity, fame, influence, power, money. But I learned something quite interesting is that whatever is earned through ambition can only be sustained through ambition. And that's an exhausting journey. I believed that any blessing that I received in my life was somehow something that I'd earned. I deserved it. And my life was marked by my success because it was to do with how good I was at what I did. Ambition can be a powerful motivating force. But Paul presents God here as one who chooses us even before we've done a single thing. Verse 4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. We didn't earn any of this, which is a shock to me, I'll be honest. Any spiritual blessing that I have enjoyed, any spiritual blessing that you have enjoyed, freedom, forgiveness, favor, you have received because of Jesus Christ. And he lavishly gives it to you, not because of anything you've done, but because of who he is. Jesus is the chosen one of God. And when we choose him, We enter into his chosenness so that everything he enjoys as a son in relationship to the father, we get to enjoy too. As we are, as Paul says, adopted into the family of God, just as we have sung about as children of God, what is true for Jesus as a beloved son becomes true for us, connection instead of separation, purpose instead of meaninglessness. Freedom instead of slavery, life instead of death. And that means we don't need to live our lives in a desperate struggle of attainment. Oh, if I only worked this hard, then I'll be blessed. Oh, if I only looked a little bit more like that person, then I'd be blessed. Only if I stopped doing this particular thing, then I would be blessed. No, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing because of who God is. And he chooses to allow you to enjoy that as a beloved son or a beloved daughter. We are in Christ chosen by the Father, learning to live from blessing, not towards it which is a big distinction to make. Number two, in Christ we are redeemed by the Son, learning to live from freedom. Verse seven says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The early church would have understood the idea of redemption in light of the Exodus story. Redemption speaks of the Israelites and slavery in Egypt being delivered up and out and into the promised land. So redemption speaks of being transferred from one place to another. 
In another of Paul's riffs in the letter to the Romans, he describes humanity as being a slave to sin. And one of the most helpful ways that I've heard sin described is a man turned in on himself. If you can just imagine a a person turned in on themselves, almost in the fetal position, that is what sin can look like. Because when you are turned in on yourself, you are protecting and guarding everything that is turned in on. And so for me personally, it was all of my self-made and self-constructed ideas of who I was, my ideology, ideology, my desires, my ambitions, but as well as that, my shame and my secrets and my terror and my fear. And the problem is when you are turned in on yourself, you set up a barrier between what you are hiding and whatever might challenge that or bring freedom to that. And so you become a slave to separation, a slave to a self-constructed and self-constricted identity of who you are. But Paul says we are no longer slaves to this way of living. We are no longer slaves to a life turned in on itself. In Colossians 1 verse 13, Paul says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So the redemption found through Jesus on the cross delivers us from slavery to sin to freedom in the kingdom. We're transformed from a life turned in on itself to a life that is expansive and wide open and free. We were once in sin, but now we are in Christ. It is a transfer of location. And in Christ, God is uniting all things, every part of our fragmented, divided identity. And indeed, the identity of a fragmented and divided world is being redeemed and is redeemed in Jesus. So we are now no longer slaves to that which constricts us, but we are living in freedom. In Christ, we are redeemed by the Son, learning to live from freedom, not towards it. It's a mindset shift because again, it removes the need for us to have to earn or work ourselves into that place. And finally, number three, in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, learning to live from promise. Verse 13 to 14 says, and you also who were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What's a seal? I'm an Australian, so straight away I think marine mammal can kill, stay away. Um, (laughs) Might be different for you because you don't live by the sea. Um, But a seal in, in ancient times was actually a mark of authority. You might have seen similar things in a Jane Austen film if you're a fan of letters written to lovers far away, sealed with the initials. Fitzwilliam Darcy, FD. But... personal dream of mine. Uh, It's actually why I moved here. No, it's not. Um, 
but a seal of the first century was a stamp or an engraving set in stone or metal or some hard substance. And it was a symbol or a figure um, that was used to make an impression into clay or wax or some kind of soft surface. And usually that seal would be attached to a document or a, a possession. And the seal would basically say, this thing, this document, this possession belongs to this person. And usually it was uh, Romans who would seal something so that if you were interested in stealing something, you could come across to the possession and think, oh, that's sealed with a Roman stamp. I'm probably not best place to steal that at the moment. And so what that seal spoke of was authority. It spoke of authenticity, it spoke of ownership, and it spoke of security. So when Paul says to you, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, he is saying you have been marked by the Spirit of God, and it is that mark that gives you your authority. It's that mark that gives you your security. It's that mark that gives you your authenticity. It's that mark that tells you who you belong to. And when we choose to follow Jesus, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, bearing the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We are sealed with the Spirit of God. And this seal in the original language actually is the same word used for engagement ring. And so that means that in the same way that an engagement ring points towards a promise, I'm obviously not wearing one, but apparently um, an engagement <laughs> ring <laughs> an engagement ring points towards a promise, so too when we are marked by the Holy Spirit, it points towards a promise of eternal life with God in Jesus Christ. And not only is it a promise, it is also a foretaste. It's a deposit. It's a down payment, which means we can experience now in the present moment a measure of the fullness of God that we know we will experience in its entirety in the future. But now we still get to delight in it. And that is what makes us distinctive. It's not our performance, it's not our possessions. It's not our pleasure and it's not our popularity. Those things are good things. I still would like to read the news. (laughs) But it's not going to define me if I do or if I don't. Because a life that is marked by success is equally as marked by failure and I don't want to bear that burden. But I do want to bear the mark of the Holy Spirit, the seal of promise. And it is from that place that we are living. This isn't about behavior modification. It's about transformation. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to renew our minds so that we have a true perspective of what actually matters And then we're able to learn what it means to live from that place and be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. This is the identity that you have been invited into in Jesus Christ. You are in Christ, learning to be Christ-like. Before you do anything, delight in this. 
Delight in who he is for you. Delight in that he chooses you and adopts you before you perform. You are in Christ, learning to experience what it means to live from that place. You're not invited into a religious treadmill. You're not invited into a people-pleasing life, an approval-seeking life, a life of conformity, a purpose or performance, maybe purpose-driven, but a performance-driven life. You are invited into a chosen, purposed, set-free, redeemed, spirit-filled, blessed with every spiritual blessing, life and life more abundant sort of life. Yes. <laughs> and my prayer for us is this that we would know what it means to truly be in Christ, to know our true identity. And that we would make living from that place the radical discipline of our lives. <laughs> 